Very interesting week for Cindy and I. As you guys know, we are on 24 hours call for people. We got off this morning at 7.30, so we really blitzed out here today. Um, don't make me confess right now, young lady. Um, so we are blessed to be here with you, blessed to kind of hear your hearts in prayer. It's, it's kind of a good thing for me because when you work in a church six days a week, and now you hang in a, a organization where it's faith-based organization, but a lot of the people there, a lot of the people that live there, the 180 people, don't have faith. So being able to be there with them and being able to live it out in front of them in a daily basis is, and bring joy to them has been, uh, I think, the most exciting part of our job. Wouldn't you say that, Cindy? And it's very interesting as it has come out, more and more they know that I'm a pastor, so I'm doing a funeral for one of the people in the complex and different things. So Cindy and I, one of our jobs is during the mealtime, we pour coffee for 140 people there. And it's purposeful. It's to make relationships with them to do that. So I stop by one table, I'm pouring coffee, and they go, this person says, why would a pastor ever want to pour me coffee? And I'm going like, man, how do I answer that where I don't sound stupid? And I said, you know, I'm going to come back sometime and tell you why I'm going to say what I'm going to say. But I have a feeling if Jesus was here, he'd be pouring you coffee. So we're going to look at a sermon today very differently. Um, there's different styles of sermons, and you guys all know this because you guys are spiritual warriors. So there is verse by verse, expository. You take it, you tear it apart. There's the style where you take a chapter and you do an overview and you examine it and you do that part of it. Then there is topical. Topical is, okay, what, what do we want to study? And let's pull in scriptures from different ways and try to understand the topic. Um, and topical can be dangerous because what you want to be uh, careful with is never taking your opinions in the world in pouring it into scriptures, what you want to do is let scripture speak to you clearly. And then there's what we're, style we're going to do today, which is character. Now, one of my topicals, which has been a very encouraging, and it's out on the web, I did was, <clears throat> how do you deal with abuse? And it's currently, for me, and I'm not bragging, it's just for me, why anyone would watch a YouTube video of me, first of all, astonishes me. But the notes this morning as I'm coming in, my thing hits and somebody said, hey, I watched your video on abuse. It helped me deal with my childhood and I'm going to take your opinion and, and go see a counselor. And I'm going like, how cool is that? But I would like to take credit for it, but I just took scripture and say, here's how God would want you to deal with abuse or if you're going through it or these things. So today, what I want to accomplish today, this sermon's called By Faith. What does real faith look like? And the one thing that I've been seeing is I'm dealing with 180 people who most of them are probably coming to the end of life. Some of them, we have 95, 98-year-old people, sharp as a whip, can tell you stories. I got nuclear submarine drivers, you name it. I got brilliant people in this complex. But to explain faith to them and not have it sound hokey, what do you do to explain faith? What does it really look like? And so for me, I look at a character on this that is important to me. So we're going to spend some time, 
we're going to talk about real faith. And when I talk to people about real faith, sometimes it's pretty hard. So we're going to kind of talk under the radar. We're a small group today. And sometimes I hear things that people struggle with all the time when it talks about faith. I hear believers. I hear believers who've lived a life of faith, but sometimes they have this question and we have to be able to help them. I'm really trying to make this faith thing work, but I'm just worn out. It wears me out. I'm really weary of trying to do the right thing, say the right thing, be the right place, do the things I'm supposed to do. I am just weary of trying to do this faith thing. And I'm going like, man, why should it be wearing? And then there's the other side of the coin. It's people that talk to you that are starting to consider living a life of faith. They're not a person that has faith in Christ yet. They'll right off tell you they don't know where they're at. And I look at those people in, in living their life, and sometimes I think it's very unattractive for somebody considering a walk of faith when they look at us and they see that we're weary. They see that we struggle. For another thing that seems that I see people struggling with their faith, um, and this is, I want us to really sound real today, but there's this Christian subculture where we say things that the world doesn't even understand anymore. Sometimes it feels like they're, we're putting on a smile and saying things, and you know what? They know it's not real. They know it's not real. So as we talk about faith, and before you throw me out of here today, uh, I just want us to consider uh, what other people are looking at and how do we avoid being tired. I want to make sure that people see the real thing that we want them to see and what does Scripture really and what would you explain to somebody about real faith right now? Because there is a phony faith out there. It's all over the place. And you can see it around you. But the person we're going to grab a hold of today, the one we're going to look at that I just love his real faith is Simon Peter. One of the first followers. I kind of consider him one of the rock star followers. And he lived this real kind of faith. And when you look at what Jesus said to him, he said, you are the rock, Peter. He pointed out that his faith, on your kind of faith, I'm going to build the church. So we're going to look at Peter and the things that led up, the things he went through, the ups and downs he had in his faith walk and see what real faith really looks like and that we're going to do together. And we could talk about millions of things when it relates to Peter. So I kind of had to sort of narrow it down so I don't have you guys falling asleep, especially you those who are a little more tired today. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, as we approach it, we are so grateful. So unplug our ears, Father. Open our eyes, soften our hearts, Lord. And Lord, just help me communicate what you've placed in my heart. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. First of all, what does real faith include? Feeling unworthy of God's presence. This is one that I see people deal with a lot. Feeling unworthy of God's presence. 
If you think having real faith makes you like you should be close to God all the time and you're loved by God every moment, I don't know if you can say that. Real faith, we sometimes feel unworthy of God's presence, many times. And it started that way with Peter. When you look at Luke 5, 8, one of the first times Jesus and Peter met, when he called him to follow him, Simon and Peter saw this great miracle that Jesus did. So it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a a sinful man. He sees a great miracle. And his first response is to say, I can't be a part of this. I can't be a person of faith because I feel so unworthy. Now, if you've ever felt that, join the club. Moses felt that way. Isaiah felt that way. Mary felt that way. And Peter felt that way. All the great people of faith at one time and another felt that way. He's God, I'm not. I'm unworthy of being close to him. So here is an honest moment uh, that we have to look at together. And let me tell you, I need to be completely transparent here. I'm a person who has had a lifelong struggle with feelings of insecurity. So for me to feel worthy and wanting to feel close to God and, and sometimes struggling with it, I've done it too far and too often. So let me just say to you, do not try to feel worthy of God's presence. The harder you try, the less worthy you feel. When you look at yourself, man, I'm really not worthy, so please, please don't try to feel worthy of God's presence. Just accept that he's invited you in. And if we can explain that to this world and to the people who are struggling with their faith, it's so important. Just accept the fact that Jesus has made you worthy. Don't try to feel it. Accept that fact. That is where real faith begins. The kind of faith that he wants us to live was sometimes feeling unworthy in his presence. So if you're going to live by faith and you want people to understand what it is, we're going to struggle with it sometimes. The second thing I've seen that's a part of this passage and a part of Peter is sometimes by faith we can have doubt at the moment of triumph. We can have doubt at the moment of triumph. It's at the, when you're at the very top of one of your greatest um, faith moments, you suddenly doubt. And it happened to Peter. One of the most famous stories in Matthew 14, 29 through theater, uh, 30, Peter goes over the side of the boat. He walks on the water towards Jesus. He knew Jesus. And I don't know if you knew, but he did. Peter took a few steps on the water. He was at the top. So what happened? Matthew 14, 29 through 30, Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus, but when he saw the uh, strong wind and waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink and said, Save me, Lord. He shouted it. So here's Peter, 
Everybody else still in the boat. And he's the one that gets out. He's the one that takes a few steps on the water. Now, I don't know about you. I've never walked on water. But maybe, maybe if we tried to walk on water and it didn't work out too well, you probably will never do it again. But Peter did it. But then he notices the storm and the waves. And in this great moment, in this great moment of triumph, he's doing something no one else has ever done. He starts to sink. I don't know about you. Have you ever felt like that? You've tried to do the greatest moment and sometimes you feel like you hit a wall. You launch out. You're doing something you thought you were supposed to do. You start out maybe in your faith. You ask Christ in your life. You begin a relationship with Him. Are you a Christian? People say, you're a Christian. Come on, you're not really a Christian. I see people deal with this one all the time. They get the moment. They get to feel Christ. And then uh, they step out of the boat and people try to sink them. And sometimes we have a doubt. You want to start a new ministry. You want to do something different for Christ. And you think you're going to change the world. And you start out and lo and behold, things start to happen. And then you're going like, wow, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. In the moment of triumph, how can God possibly use me? I'm not worthy. Real faith, real faith sometimes has doubts in the greatest moments that we can have ahead of us. So if you ever start to sink in the middle of something that you're trying to do for the Lord or trying to do in people, and this is stuff that you can help people with, maybe we should follow Peter's advice. Because what did Peter do when he started to sink? He cried out, cried out, Lord, Lord, save me. He didn't fake it. So sometimes when I'm sinking, I'm thinking like, Lord, this is going too well, and I back off and I feel like I do it. First of all, I can't fake it. i got to admit it, man, Lord. I'm sinking here. I, I, maybe I, I meant to sink, but I'm not going to fake it before God. And I truly believe one of the reasons so many people get weary with their faith, and that is they are faking that too much, to be able to shout out to God, to be able to do that. We put up these false fronts. We're, we're afraid to say, I'm afraid of what I'm about to do. You need to pray for me. I love this about you guys. You do reach out for that. I, want my, I don't want fear to control my life. I do have doubts. But you're not going to let doubts define you. I want faith. I want my faith to define me. You know the greatest legacy we can leave behind us is that our faith defines us so don't fake it admit it if you're going to lead a real life of faith we need to find ourselves doing things sometimes that are beyond what we think we're capable of and in those moments we're going to face doubts we're going to face doubts the third part when i look at peter and i know none of you have this problem but i do and this one might be a little controversial here today. But sometimes stupid statements can sound really spiritual. Stupid statements can sound really spiritual. And sometimes you're going to say stupid things. Peter 
certainly did. He had a moment where he, Jesus was saying, disciples, I need you to understand, I'm going to the cross and die, and that's God's plan for my life. And Peter said, Jesus, come over here. You and I have to have a little talk, and let's see what that talk says in Matthew 16. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing, seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So Peter had Jesus call him Satan. How would you like to have Jesus call you Satan? That would not be a good day in my book. But what he said sounded so spiritual, didn't it? It sounded so cool. You know, Lord, that'll never happen. But he was so far off base. A person who was, as someone who loves to teach, and I believe one of my gifts is teaching, and so I get the opportunity to talk about God a lot. I'm very aware how easily I can sometimes say stupid things that sound spiritual. And oh, you're probably going like, oh great, why am I listening to you today? But the truth is, that's why we always speak from here. Because that's where the truth lies. And I'm going to tell you, whoever is up here or whatever church you go to, you need to go and check on what they're saying and always compare it to here. That's why God gave us his word. That's why he wants us to have that. It's so easy to say things that sound spiritual that are sometimes wrong. And we can do it in such confident ways, just like Peter did. The truth is there are a lot, of, a lot, a lot. I'm going to narrow this down. Christian cliches out there. And, and culture is built around them, and people who don't understand faith get very confused by them. There's hundreds, hundreds where people, when you say it, they go, huh? So there's so many, but I'm going to narrow them down. And some of these statements are just dead wrong, and some of them, we lace a little truth into it, and it makes it sound like it's true. So here are my top five things that push my button. The first one is sometimes we say, uh, and my wife, she's had to whoop me into shape on this, what we say when someone gives us a compliment. And we don't know how to take a compliment. Boy, am I confessing to you guys today. We say, it wasn't me, it was God. Someone comes up and says, hey, enjoyed your sermon. It wasn't me, it was God. Have you ever heard that one? It's a cliche. So let's take a look at it for a minute. Let's just take an honest look at what we're saying about that. Uh, because we don't know how to take a compliment, we don't know how to simply say thank you to someone, sometimes we interject a witness into a situation that somebody who just wants to tell you, I appreciate you, and they walk away going like, hmm, here's the deal. God's a part of everything. He's a part of everything in my life. And sometimes I can say those stupid things and they're certainly dead wrong. But um, to be able to take a compliment, and it almost sounds like, yes, that was God. I almost sound like I'm super spiritual. Yes, thank you very much, but that was God speaking through me rather than saying thank you. Man, God gets to hang out with me all the time. 
kind of see the difference and why people wrestle with that one. The next one, which is very controversial, and it, I've seen this hurt so many people. If you just had enough faith, you could be healed. If you just, and I understand that God heals people. I have seen God heal people. But this statement uh, with people can really be destructive to who they are. You're saying you just don't have enough faith when you say that. First of all, Jesus said it's faith like a mustard seed is enough. Now, here's the thing. It's a matter of God's power. It's not a matter of how much faith I can muster and do. And secondly, the Bible uh, closely uh, help us to realize this isn't true when you look at 2 Corinthians 12. Because this is somebody I think had a lot of faith in its apostle Paul. I prayed three times that God would heal me, and God said no. God said, I'm going to use this sickness to show the world something of my glory in your life. So I know sometimes building faith, I know sometimes we can sound super spiritual with that, but sometimes what I've learned when I've dropped that one, and I've been guilty of dropping that one, it's because I don't know what to say. And so I kind of back off. Here's another one, and you guys have probably seen the bumper sticker on the freeway on this one. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. God said it, that believes it, that settles it. Now the reality, the truth is God said it, that, that's done already, it's settled, right? It's not a matter whether I believe it or not believe it, God said it. God said it, so it's kind of like my belief, wow, because I believe in it, it makes God's word more powerful. You can see how that can confuse people today a little bit. And what I want to really say is believe in God's truth on this. And a lot of times if I say that, God said it, I, I believe it, and that settles it, it sounds a little prideful. And if you kind of look at the world, what they're dealing with today, they believe the Christian community is full of themselves. So, and it kind of says basically to me, sorry, you're going to hell. And it's about, it's not about you because I've already settled it. The other one that I kind of, because these cliches when we say them at the wrong time in the wrong place can really be hurtful to people. I've seen people drop these bombs when they're in hospice and they just don't know what to say. Or they have a child that's battling cancer or doing those things. And the problem is some of them really have actual truth threaded into them. Sometimes it's just not doing the right thing. So sometimes I've seen people in the hospital room or when they're losing a mate and somebody walks in who's a believer and they're running with their grief and this one I've heard, and this is truth, but probably not the best timing. Everything happens for a reason. We know that's truth. Or the one God never puts more on you than you can handle. We know that's truth. But probably our timing in, in our faith wouldn't do it because they probably don't understand that at that point. And for them to understand, we want to make sure that it doesn't come off hurtful to people. That our faith in what we believe, because man, I do believe that. 
I do believe God is going to do amazing things through that. I do, do believe he's going to use that situation. But I just want to be careful with cliches that we sometimes can do. And again, it sometimes happens when we're just af afraid and we don't know what to say or what to do and we will drop a cliche. So I would recommend you um, to be careful with those. But here's one that's very popular right now. And it actually comes out of history from St. Augustine. This one is a cliche, and let me tell you, this is probably the most debated one right now. Matter of fact, Gandhi even used it. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Problem is, this is so overused right now, and it doesn't let us even start to have a faith conversation with somebody. And it sounds like, you know what, again, we're pushing people off as, you're over here. And we got to be careful because people, when they're struggling with their faith, I want them to know what he was doing there. So you go back and you try to make those things right. You try to clarify. But how do we do that? How do we really be able to do that? Well, here's the other part. Simple words change the world. Simple words change the world. And it happened with Peter. Jesus... Uh, one time in a place called Philippi in Caesarea. It's just north of Israel by the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful, beautiful region. It's a place where a lot of people go to worship false god, one named Pan, and there's all kinds of idol worships there. And what uh, they did there is they constructed this huge statue of Caesar, a Roman god. And in the midst of all the other gods where all the conversation was going on, people were saying, I bet you that's what Jesus is like when they looked at that god. Some people said, I think he's a prophet. Some people said, I think he's a historical figure. And Jesus, and this is where the simple things really count, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? And here is how Simon answered, Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so sometimes the simplest answers, the kind of faith that he built a rock on, that's going to build his church on, you are the Christ. Which means you are the promised one. Peter is the one who says, you are the one. And it changed everything. Everything. The simplest words changed everything. Acts 2, 4, 41. And look how it changed everything, how he did this. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. Simple words. Simple words. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the one. You serve someone. Uh, you do it in simple ways. You pour coffee. You say simple things. Faith means that it will happen through your life. Life-changing moments come up. And we uh, can prepare words. We can try to do the right thing. But... You know, sometimes it's just saying the simplest things. Ten year, I'm, I'm excited. Next Sunday, I'm going to bring a young man with me who 
he's flying in from the church in Iowa, and he's never been to California. And um, he's been through some horrible, horrible childhood things, horrible things. As a matter of fact, I've been in, and he'll give his testimony. I don't want to steal from it. He's been in the hospital a few times in attempts to take his life, feeling unworthy, raised in the church, doing those things. And he finally got a hold of understanding this, and he is so on fire. He's all over the world in the mission field. And that's the part I want you to see is how our faith, I'd like to think I had a little something to do with it, but that would be nonsense. Because I just said simple things to him. And the, the secret is we talk words of grace and encouragement. We talk about words of faith. And in those things, it will change somebody's world. That's what happens when we speak with faith. That's how God works in that. These stupid statements that sometimes can sound so spiritual and life-changing words. Um, I actually flipped the... Look at the two words that Peter used that just flipped all of history. So, But Peter was guilty of stupid statements, right? You guys know that? Let's see how that works. Life-changing words. It doesn't mean it wasn't perfect. It's all about me. I'm going to not do this. I'm going to see how great you are. Remember he did that one? But here's the one that I love that he really, he, he blew was, you guys knew about his denial. His struggles with denial and the stupid things he said. And, and we're going to take a look at that one. Real faith, sometimes we struggle to get relationships right. Sometimes we struggle to get relationships right. We take faith, and sometimes we have this picture that faith is going to take away all the struggles of our relationships. I think that having faith is going to make my marriage perfect. Or having faith is going to make my kids perfect. Or having faith is going to make my relationships at work perfect. But guess what? We're still all selfish. We struggle with that. We struggle with our relationships. And we look at Jesus' first followers and what they struggled with all the time. And here's the Son of God in human flesh. And they're going to, I am better than you. I am better than you. Instead of looking at Jesus. And we can struggle with those relationships. So one time Peter came and he asked Jesus a question about relationships. Matthew 18, 21. Through 22. And Peter came and asked, Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? No, not seven times, answered Jesus, but 70 times seven. First of all, if you think of this rhetorical question Peter's asking, I kind of wrestle, well, I know he had a brother. So was he ticked off at his brother? And his brother was Andrew. And then I'm thinking, like, so did his brother do, like, seven things wrong to him? And he was at number eight and wanted to, like, give it to him. And I'm going, like, but Peter's very practical here. And he's going, like, okay, at the eighth time I can do this. Seven times, but now it's eight. But Jesus says 70 times. So what is really going on here? Really what's going on here? Jesus um, puts it this way. You're going to have relationships that are based on faith because it isn't a matter seven times or ten times. It's a matter you need power outside of yourself, outside of myself, 
to even get near 70 times 70. You're not going to do it on your own. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell Peter here with his stupid questions. You cannot have the kind of relationships he wants without his power. You can't forgive like Jesus without the power of forgiveness. So, you're weary and wore out with your faith. Jesus is going to tell you, trust me. You recognize his love for who you are. You share it with others. Forgiveness towards others. It's all about him. He wants to walk it through in your life. You're going to struggle with relationships. You can't change the other person. You, and here's the thing. That's, you invite them, Jesus, to help change you. That's power. That's real faith. Struggles with relationships helps me to get in the right place for me. The other thing I learned about real faith and that we learn about Peter, failure you never thought possible. So remember, this is the guy that denied Jesus three times. And he never thought it possible. Matter of fact, he said this. Peter replied, even if I fall away on account of you, I will never will. I will never. I will never. Lord, that ain't going to happen. But the Titanic hit an iceberg in, in his faith. Sometimes our faith is going to have something that shakes us to the core. And where do you go when you have to face that? What do you do when you have struggles with that? You are going to have those life moments. We're, to say we're never going to commit a sin, good luck with that. Watch out for your iceberg. So what do you do? How do you do it? For many of us, we have friends who are facing these kind of circumstances and we need to be able to explain this part of faith. And at the moment, I love this, at the moment, there are four simple things that Jesus shows us in this passage with him. At the moment, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And here's the passage. Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Wow. Peter actually did deny him. You guys remember that. Went on and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you to sift the wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, and your faith will not fail, and you have turned back and strengthen your brothers. So there are four things we see in this when we fail. First of all, in that moment, he looked at Jesus. I just look at that moment. He failed. He looks over at Jesus, and he sees the love. He sees the love. So when we're at that point in our faith, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and the love he has for you. And that's the part that I want to be able to communicate with people. I can't even imagine what that was like. God is love. Jesus is God. The look of love that must have come across to him. Don't let your eyes be locked into other people telling you you're a failure. Get your eyes locked on him. That's what we get to tell people. That's the faith we get to tell them. The other part, when we have failed or when people have failed, weep. We weep. Instead of blaming others, instead of doing enraging anger, instead of making excuses, and we just have some honest tears 
on our failures and our mistakes, some honest tears. And then the other part, we turn back. We turn back. Turn back to the way God has for you because where else are you going to go? And I know failure is a real thing for people. I know people struggle with that. And I'm not minimizing, I'm not reducing failure or the hurt in people's life. And I know there are many types of failures. I'm, failure is real, but God is real. And for us to be able to tell people in their moments of failures or losses about the realness, it doesn't stop failure, but it does help us to turn back. And the last one, which I love, the last one we experience failure, what does Jesus tell Peter to do? And if any of you have ever done that when you felt like you've blown it or you've made a mistake, Jesus tells him to go strengthen his brothers. Strengthen other people who face the same failure you have. Other people that are facing hurt in your life. God wants you to in their lives to bring encouragement and strength to be able to do this. They need you. They need you. Maybe in your life you have some words of encouragement you need to share with somebody this week. What do you face right now when you look at failure? What is the things that you do? What are, fail what are some of the ups and downs in your life right now? But I want you to remember that flip side. The flip side that what Peter's experienced. And here's the flip side. Miracles beyond your wildest dreams. Absolute miracles. God is doing things in your life you never thought possible. The verses from Acts, he preaches. This man who did these stupid things, God saw the amazing things in his life, he preached to 3,000 people. 3,000 people came to the Lord. He was walking down the street and there's a guy on the side of the street lame. He had never been able to walk. He prays for him and he starts to walk. That's Peter. He's put into prison for preaching and praise and he's set free. The chains fall off of him. The doors open and he just walks out. That's Peter. There's even an experience. He's walking down the street. His shadow falls on someone and they are healed by his shadow falling on him. Now that's the kind of shadow I want. But you know what? We do have that. What God has done in each one of you, I guarantee you, can help other people to be healed. God does do miracles all over today. Maybe my shadow hasn't had that effect. But when I pray... I've seen what no doctor could do, no nurse could do. I've seen what God could do. I've seen things happen beyond the human thing. I have seen marriages that I thought could never be healed and saw the spouses fall in love with each other. If you think you can be a follower of God and a follower of Jesus, And I want you to realize that this life, you're the light in this world. Your faith. God's given each one of us hearts and passions as something that's in front of us, leading us the way to changing ministry or helping other people. Many, many times my gifts, your gifts, 
I love watching miracles in each one of you. God takes those gifts to be able to do incredible things, and I see those gifts in this church. Stumbling at the point of great success. Peter had great success. Acts 10, one of the greatest successes ever. Everyone was invited in. It was a big deal. Things were going on. And in Acts 10, 34, Peter says, and Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And Peter came to Antioch and opposed uh, him to face because he was clearly in the wrong. Peter did some goofy things after all these amazing things. He stopped eating with the Gentiles uh, and his non-Jewish friends. And they were legalists and judgmental people he was hanging out with. And he didn't want to be criticized, so he stopped eating with non-Jewish friends. The guy that led everyone, everyone, and started the church, stop eating with him. Can this happen to me? Can it happen to you? Can we get so churchized that we don't do that? Peter was called the rock. The natural rock of erosion. And all of a sudden, he's put in the position and he makes a mistake. I've had friends, I've had great pastors, great leaders. After 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they make huge mistakes, whether it's financial, some sexual immorality into their life. Some have been revealed in their life. They have stumbled across the road, and it just breaks my heart because I know what God has. There's a couple of ways to respond. One is to become somebody who can... uh, Humbly, honestly say to them. And I had a pastor teach me this when he saw great people fall in the church. But for the grace of God, there go I. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. Because sometimes I, I, I want you to hear what God has for you. I want you to understand that I want you guys all to keep up and keep going. So we're going to enter communion right now. And in that, as we take the bread, I don't know what part of the Peter walk you're on. Maybe you're at the pinnacle and everything's clicking in. But I want you to see how God used the amazing thing. And the big key through it all as we take communion is this. Follow me. When you boil it all down, there were two words that Jesus said to Peter in the very beginning. Just follow me. Peter heard him. Three years of ministry with Jesus, and at the end of those three years, Jesus comes by the seashore to make the fishermen to follow him. So let me ask you, will you live a life of faith not be phony? Will you live a life of being feeling unworthy and facing doubts and stupid statements? Or do you know that God wants to use you for miracles? I do. So we're going to take communion right now. Doggone it. I, sorry, you guys. I get emotional seeing how God uses a Peter like that.
you could hold on, we will take it together. have these men pray. Well, you stay here. You guys are my, you get to pray. Huh. Follow me. Follow me. You are worthy. You are worthy. Would you pray for the cup and would you pray for the bread for us? Father, we lift up uh, your body right now as we partake in this communion. And you are worthy. Stand and worship together. <laughs> 